Okay, today is May the 20th, 2010. I don't have any announcements, nothing that is coming up. That's unusual. Uh, I will let you know that we had our second time here with uh, YPC at CBC, and we had a good time. There were 12 youngsters here, and um, I think that if it keeps being supported that way, we'll just keep having it. So anyway, I do ask you to keep praying for that and for parents to be able and willing to bring their young people here, because it won't happen unless that happens. So, uh, let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Of course, we have the option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Every day is a gift. Time is precious, and we need to learn to use it wisely. The way that we redeem the time is through consistently taking in Your Word, concentrating and focusing under the Holy Spirit's ministry as Your Word is being taught so that we can grow in grace and knowledge. It's so important for us not to lose our focus, not to be distracted, so we pray that You will help us Concentrate tonight, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Just recently, I've been talking about the importance of belief. What you believe really matters. And I think it's important for uh, believers to know why they believe what they believe. That kind of comes under the heading of apologetics, that you're able to defend the faith. And there's a couple paragraphs in this recent Berean call that had something to do with that, and it's really ironical because it has, what we're going to see in this little tidbit here is, uh, what's his name, Uh, Christopher Hitchens. You may recognize that name. He's a well-known atheist, and it's taking an atheist to point out to professing believers the importance of what they believe. Isn't that something? That God can take an atheist and essentially shine the light on uh, professing Christians to show that it really is important what they believe. This is dated February the 1st, 2010. And it was taken from keepbelieving.com. During a recent trip to Portland, Oregon, a noted atheist, Christopher Hitchens, laid down some seriously good theology. (laughs) That sounds interesting already, doesn't it? Most people recognize Hitchens as the author of the best-selling book, God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. That's his book. Since the book's publication in 2007, Hitchens has toured the country debating a series of religious leaders, including some well-known evangelical thinkers. In Portland, he was interviewed by 
Unitarian minister Marilyn Sewell. <laughs> I can't hardly read that without laughing. Unitarianism is as close as not having any faith at all. It's anything goes. Just come on down and you can worship whoever you want, however you want. We're all God's children. Isn't it lovely? Now, that's not in the article. I'm just saying. And so you have this woman, <laughs> Unitarian uh, pastor. I went to do a funeral in Houston a number of years ago, and there was a big Unitarian church. And it had on the, I guess you would call it the marquee out in front, the little sign. It said, come come worship us with us this Sunday. We're going to be teaching on the feminine side of God. Boy, I didn't want to miss that, but I, I had to. So this uh, Marilyn Sewell, this Unitarian minister, uh, had the following exchange took place near the start of the interview. So she was going to interview this <laughs> this kitchen. You have a a female supposedly minister in a Unitarian church interviewing a rabid atheist. <laughs> and you would think, nothing can come out of this, but it really does. So this is what she, uh, this is Sewell. She says, the religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I am a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinctions between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? Now, this is his answer. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that He rose again from the dead and by His sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. <laughs> this is from an atheist. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. Sewell wanted no part of... <laughs> of that discussion. So her next words were, let me go somewhere else. <laughs> this little snippet demonstrates an important point about religious God talk. You can call yourself anything you like, but if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead, you are not in any meaningful sense a Christian. Talk about nailing it in one of the delicious ironies of our time, an outspoken atheist grasps the central tenet of, Christian, of Christianity better than many professing Christians do. What you believe about Jesus Christ really does make a difference. I thought that was good. Um, there are a lot of people that profess to be Christians. They go to church. They worship. They claim that um, they believe in Jesus Christ. But they also have that cancer that all religions have, which is thinking that you have to work your way to be accepted or to be saved by God, apart from Jesus Christ, by works. 
And I'm talking about billions of people. I'm talking about organized religions. And this is part of Satan's counterattack of deception. Now, we go right on, but there's one other thing. This, this Berean call just was, came at such a perfect time. The very things that I've been teaching about, and now there's another little snippet like that that uh, is, was written by a T.A. McMahon. And it has to do with thinking eternally. Haven't I been talking about that a lot lately? We just got out of the divine domain and talking about the personal sense of eternal destiny. And we've talked just recently about suffering. And this little few paragraphs here covers both. I think he does a really good job. He had just been operated on some major surgery. Uh, and so this, he was thinking, this is entitled, Thinking Eternally. He says, If I think about my life in Christ from the beginning to this day, 30 years later, if I could go back and make some changes, there is one adjustment I would definitely make. I would concentrate more on the eternal aspects of life ahead rather than the temporal issues. What he's saying is he wished he'd have had a personal sense of destiny from the get-go. That's not just a corrective reflection about my life. It is a biblical mandate. Although it is something that takes discipline, I admit it's not as difficult now in my senior years compared to when my life was all in front of me and heaven was viewed when I even thought about heaven as light years in the future. And I'll stop for just a minute here. This is so true because all of us have busy lives, don't we? I mean, we all have a full plate. There are so many details. We live in this modern, sophisticated age of technology and there's so much inform we we have an information flood every single day. I get it over the computer, I get it over the TV, I get it over the radio, I get it in my mailbox. You try to sort it all out, you try to keep track of it, and before you know it, the really important things can just kind of slip away. And I think this is especially true for young people, because for young people, uh, let's say a teenager. They think, well, I'm young. I probably will have uh, another, what, 60 or 70 years maybe left to, to live. And there's so much peer pressure. And they're learning new things. They're exciting about, uh, excited about a lot of things. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But I think it's harder for them to look past the temporal into the eternal. And that's what we all should encourage them to do. That's what he's doing. He's reflecting back. And he said, for 30 years, if I look back over my life as a believer, if I would make any changes, any adjustments, that would be it. That I would have started way a long time ago thinking about eternal things. And he says it takes discipline. And he says not only is it just a desire on his part, it's a mandate for all of us. Now, continuing, he says, someone once suggested that I not be so heavenly minded that I would be no earthly good. I consider this to be both bad advice and contrary to the Scriptures. Being, being heavenly minded is thinking about where I'm going to be and better yet, 
who I'm going to be with for all eternity. Focusing on pleasing Jesus here and now in anticipation of spending eternity with Him is the raison d'etre, which means it is the reason for being for every believer. This temporal part of my life is less than one heartbeat in time compared to eternity. Paul communicates that absolute truth in Romans 8.18 and 2 Corinthians 4.17. And then he ends with this scripture. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. And then he says, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Aren't those two relevant for what we've been looking at and studying? Personal sense of destiny. Okay, let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. I thought about doing something. I think I'm going to do it right now, even before we start. <clears throat> what do you remember about this last few lessons, especially with regards to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3? Now, if you want to look at your Bible, go ahead and look at your Bible. If you want to look at that, at that uh, verse. But don't look at your notes. I want you to just look at your Bible. I'm trying to prompt something that we went over, it was Tuesday night, that was a very revealing, very, um, to some, controversial issue, but it was a deep one. Uh, maybe I'll throw you off by saying it's uh, controversial. Let me read the Scripture first. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. That's the key right there. What was he? He said to strengthen and encourage their faith. So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been uh, destined for this. Now we go to the uh, the fourth and fifth verse. These are the ones that we went over uh, Tuesday night. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to you, came to uh, it came to pass, as you know. For this reason. When I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. Now, in those few verses there, I want you to just think, what, do you, what can you remember that we went over specifically that would be an important thing for you to remember? I don't, I don't want anybody to just answer it. I just want you to think about it. 
Because it's easy for us to go over these classes and they just kind of run together and you can't remember anything. But when you read these scriptures, something should stand out to you. One of the, I talked about that Paul was, when he could endure it no longer, it wasn't that he was worried. It wasn't that he was not faith resting. The issue was he was in charge and he had a very important decision to make. Time was clicking on. And he couldn't endure any longer without making a command decision. That's what that's talking about. He wasn't in sin. He wasn't fretting about the welfare of these Thessalonian believers that God wasn't able to take care of them or protect them. That's what he was wrestling with. But that's not what I... What the, the thing... It, this word, you'll see, keeps coming up in these verses. And the, ver, and the word is faith. Why did he send Timothy? To encourage them in their faith. And then in verse 5, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. Just underline that, that one part. Because this is what I'm zeroing in on. This is what you should take away from these, these few scriptures here and remember it because it is profound. That little statement right there. He loved the Thessalonian believers. He is expressing his affection to them. We just saw how he expressed it in the highest way he could, that they were part of his personal sense of destiny, that they were his crown. And he loved them, uh, just a great abiding love. And yet he was tossed and turned about making a decision whether he would send Timothy to them, which he needed there, but he knew because of the rumors that he heard that they might that he would be needed there also. But here's the point. I'm saying all this to bring it right to a conclusion now is this. He did not send Timothy to check to make sure that they were safe. Because something mattered more than their physical safety and that was their faith you can't miss that it is so important it doesn't mean that Timothy uh, was callous he knew that there was suffering he knew that there was all of this trouble going on and certainly their very lives might be at stake remember uh, uh, Paul's was he had to leave there they were trying to kill him but when he makes this decision to send Timothy, he's not sending there, Timothy there to say, Timothy, tell me how they're doing. Are, are, are they still in danger? Does it look like they need to take more security measures? Wasn't any of that at all, was it? The one thing that he was focusing on like a laser and what meant most to him was their faith. And we, this is, you see why I'm, I'm pointing that out, how important that is. Because a lot of times, especially in the society we're in, and we just read that bizarre uh, interview between an atheist and a professing Christian that was not a Christian. She didn't believe any, anything of the fundamentals even with regards to Christ. And so it can kind of fall between the cracks with regards to the importance of what someone believes. We're talking about the faith of someone. That's what was imperative for Paul to find out. 
Were they holding out? Were they continuing to stand firm for the faith? That was the, 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 the burning thing that Paul had going on in his mind. That was what his, his whole decision was, what he was struggling over. And, and it's so easy to, to discount that today. Because people really don't think it's important what you believe. Everybody has their own belief. You got yours, I got mine. Remember I, I brought this out last time? The reason they think it doesn't matter is because to a lot of people, all beliefs are equal. They all equate. That's why they don't care what you believe because there's not one belief that's any better than another. It's all just a matter of opinion. And that's why I am so thankful for the Word of God, aren't you? We don't have to speculate. It's not about opinion. It's about what God has revealed to us in His Word. And I've been attacked, even lately, about making a stand for Christ. And I make no apology. Not by anybody here. Don't try to think, <laughs> uh, who did it? Uh, it's not important who did it. It's just that all of us are required to do that. There will be pressures put on each and every one of us to compromise doctrine as if it really doesn't matter. But doctrine does matter. And doctrine divides. And we must make a choice. Are we going to live these few very quick years here on this earth in order to please God? Or are we here to win a popularity contest? Are we here to fulfill our approbation lust? You're not always going to be popular. So, now I can put this on the board because I wanted to get that across. <clears throat> you notice here, he says, we thought it best. Paul wasn't, he, he had the uh, highest authority, but he was smart enough to get input from his subordinates. So, they sent Timothy, fellow worker in the gospel, to strengthen Stirazzo, and of course, this is where we get steroids. We're going to see this 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 uh, word again tonight in another verse, and it's not even in First Thessalonians. But maybe you'll pick it out, even though it's, I won't be showing you. It won't, you won't see it in the Greek, but maybe you can make the connection and encourage you. He wasn't encouraging them to be. He was not encouraging them to be more safe, more careful. He was encouraging them as to what? See that? As to their faith. Every day, you have the opportunity to use your faith and strengthen your faith. Or you have the option, you can make decisions to neglect your faith. And if you neglect your faith, as we're going to see, it's going to weaken and there's very... Severe consequences when that happens. So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. Of course, we're all disturbed bodily, physically. But the whole idea is that God has a plan that we can be stable, we can be secure, we can be encouraged, no matter what the circumstances are. Carrie and I were going home, I think it was Tuesday night, 
and we heard someone talking about this. Very, very good speaker. Very organized in his thinking. And um, the only problem is that he is a Calvinist. John MacArthur is who I'm talking about. John MacArthur is a great speaker, and he can he can speak on certain issues, and he's very good. But the thing of it is, if you think that God has only chosen certain ones to die for, and He chose not to die for Christ, not to die for others, that's going to that's really going to color your theology to a large degree. But at least He was saying, "Hey, God has given us something." to where we don't have to be led around by our circumstances. And so if you have that inner encouragement, if you put things in perspective and you're looking past the affliction, the, the suffering that's going on, into the future, we just saw it in this, uh, in this article, 2 Corinthians 4.17, Romans 8.18. He calls, Paul calls it, remember we went over this last time? Light affliction. Paul said, this light affliction that I have, repeatedly being beaten, being shipwrecked, being hungry, thirsty, naked. All, this, he calls all this just light affliction. Running for his life all the time. But like he says, what waits for us, for us is a, isn't a, a exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. I can't give you this. I can explain it to you. I can show you what Paul called it, and I can point to what Paul wanted them to have. That's why he was encouraging their faith in the middle of this affliction. But only the believer himself can make the decision to grow up spiritually so he can acquire a personal sense of destiny. You see, if you have no sense of eschatology, if the future for you or even this world or anything else is just a blur. You don't, you know, you you have your opinion. Someone else may have theirs. You'll never have this inner strength that just wells up and enables you to go get past your circumstances. Because when you depend upon Jesus Christ and you're applying doctrine, not only is this going to make it bearable and you're able to endure it, we're going to say all God's children suffer. We're in the devil. No more death. No more sickness. All the things that we have is to be all of God. Stop looking forward to. Because that anything beyond discouraging and depressing news, teaching science, that's one of the things on uh, young me. Are you? There are fellow believers saying, I you understand that come in contact with, no one can know. You this might have not, I'm know that Vidal knows who negative of not fear. You understand? It would be the great thing being asked to be tempted with things where it's so important. The drops of like, and then, but tempted by the same. Never had. Not danger, but danger. Okay. 
when Satan is going to send his his emissaries to to test you, to tempt you, and all that. We don't know. We don't know when that's going to happen, do we? we? Have no idea. I don't think Satan is going. I don't think there's anybody in this room that Satan will ever personally uh, have any dealings with. But he he's got bigger fish to fry than us. I mean, I, I can't say that unequivocally. But Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be one place at a time. And I don't even know if he's ever been in Branham. Maybe he has. Um, I'm pretty sure he hadn't been in Greenbine. But he's got a lot of personnel to send, send do his dirty work. So, it says, but resist him. What does it say? Firm in your faith. How do you resist the devil? By being firm in your faith. We might say being strong in doctrine, wouldn't we? We we might be saying as long as you have doctrine circulating in your stream of consciousness, you're ready to resist the devil. Now, the reason I had you underline resist is because that is a defensive mode, not offensive. We are not to go on the offense against Satan, demons, or any other of the occult or anything like that. Leave them alone. It's not our business. We don't have to fear them, but we don't go after them. That's not our job. But we have to be ready to resist. How? Being strong in our faith. I remember I was talking to a young person one time, and I was telling them about demons, and they said, Oh, don't tell me anymore. I'm scared. I said, and you know, that's the way a lot of people are with regards to doctrine. They just, I'm scared. I don't want to think about demons, that there's invisible creatures out there that can taunt me or hurt me or anything. I said, you're not to fear them. But pretending that they, they don't exist isn't going to do any good. It's not going to make them disappear. Well, they're disappeared anyway. I mean, we don't see them, but it's not going to have them leave. The fact is that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we can resist, but we can only resist if what we're, we're strong in our faith. It says, resist him, firm in your faith. And look at the next, next word. What is it? Knowing. If you're a spiritual ignoramus, you can't resist the devil. Knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. One point there, and he says, had the same common experience, and now we have it here. When the Satan is going about as a roaring lion, he's, he's saying, be firm in your faith, uh, knowing. Knowing this is a comfort, you see. He says, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren in the world. In other words, you're not the only one going through it. What's on your plate today? What are you having to deal with that you really rather not deal with? Something has come into your life. You don't want it there. You'd rather just get rid of it. But you just have to faith rest. You have to put it on, on the Lord and wait for Him. Have you ever been in that state of limbo where you it just this problem, this aggravating thing continues and you don't know how it's going to turn out? And sometimes you wish, well, I just wish it would all just go to hell in a handbasket be over one way or the other. Of course, we would rather it be over and... We'd be blessed through it. Do do y'all understand what I'm talking about? And when someone comes up and says, I know exactly how you feel. 
I was in that same predicament. And the Lord was faithful. I just had to endure. I had to just keep trusting. I had to keep taking in the Word. Keep being spiritually strong. Keep thinking and meditating upon the promises. That's what helps. That's what this is talking about. And that's another reason that Paul sent Timothy so that their their labor would not be in vain. Not that their salvation, their eternal salvation, salvation was ever in question. But it is possible for believers to take doctrine over a period of time and then what can happen? All the work that this pastor, this minister, this apostle, whoever it is, has done can be in vain because the moment that you think that you don't really need it because you've already heard it or you've already been to this type thing, what happens is in your soul it creates a vacuum that starts sucking in Lies in human viewpoint. That's why we have to continue to get doctrine because the moment that you quit getting doctrine and it's filling your soul, it's feeding your soul. You know, it's like a... It's, it's, <laughs> just think of this. Your head is empty. My head is empty. Think of my head being empty. That's easier for you to do. My head is empty. Every day when I wake up, it's like my head is empty. Now, what's going to go into that today? And if I choose day after day that I'm going to put doctrine in here, that day is going to fill up with doctrine. Whether I get it to the Internet, I'm studying, I'm teaching, or whatever it is. And you do the same thing. You fill it up. That's when you're spiritually strong. You're gregario. You're alert. You're mentally alert. Uh, you are sagacious. That's a good word. Sagacious. Yes, it, wise. It means acute mentally. Mentally alert. And that's what we need to be. We need to be sagacious spiritually. In other words, we ought to be super sagacious. I was going. To work, I was trying to do a little rhyme with this. It didn't work. I was going to say we we should be rapacious, rapacious for sagacious, but it didn't work. So forget that. But anyway, sagacious. We all remember that word because it means being mentally acute, uh, with common sense, with doctrine. And if you're not filling it, your, 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 mind, your soul up here doesn't remain empty ever. It's going to suck something else in. And there's only truth and there's only lies. There's only truth and there's error. And if you're not getting truth, you're going to su- start sucking in the lies. You're going to start sucking in the human viewpoint. And that's why you have to continue keeping on, keeping on. I don't care. Some of you here have a tremendous amount of doctrine. Tremendous amount. Some of you have been getting it for... Fifty years. And that's great. But there are a lot of people that maybe are not here that got a lot of doctrine, but they flaked off for whatever reason, got distracted or whatever. You know what's happening to them? Every day they wake up and they're sucking human viewpoint into their soul. And that means all that training, all that teaching, all the things that God did in order for them to grow up spiritually was in vain because of their volition, because they just cast it aside well I think that's enough for tonight we're out of time and uh, we'll pick this up next time let's close Heavenly Father we're so thankful for your faithfulness for your truth for you to impress upon us the importance of being mentally alert spiritually 
Because we never know when the evil one will send his minions in order to tempt us, to distract us, to get us off course. So we pray that every day that we wake up, we will be alert, sagacious, ready to take in more doctrine so that we will be able to resist him or whatever it is whenever it comes. And it's because of who and what you are and your mighty grace. And it's because you get all the glory. So we pray that we will understand this and continue to grow in grace and knowledge. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.